Wow, amen, amen. You may be seated. One of the uh, the passages that was read today, um, I don't know if you caught it, but at the end, when they just had this huge, huge catch of fish, the disciples, it says, left everything and followed Jesus. Once they put their boats away, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, these guys were fishermen. This, I'm not going to start preaching. I am preaching. I'm sorry. We're not even getting to John yet. But, but just imagine, this was probably the biggest take, the most money that they could get in one day fishing, and they leave it all there. Just right there. That's huge. That, that dog will hunt, as they say in preaching school. Um, well, anyways, one of the things I want to remind you of, uh, two of the things I want to remind you of, is out on the back table, there are these two little booklets. The first one is for the book of John. It's kind of a, just an overview of the book. It gives a, kind of an outline, a structure of the book of John. And, and answering the question, why are we going through John? Why are we spending a year plus on one book of the Bible? Well, this will answer those questions that you have. And if you keep asking yourself that question because you forget, like I often do, you could just open it up again and say, oh, that's why we're doing the book of John. We put these together, so please avail yourself of those. They're on the table right before you leave on the left-hand side. As are these, we are starting week six in our 91 weeks with Jesus, encountering Jesus through the scriptures. Uh, I hope many of you have been experiencing God's blessing as you've been reading the word of God. We just finished the book of Genesis together. Uh, I know several people have come up to me and said, wow, that pastor Soper, he knows more than you do. Because he does, right? I mean, he's great. He's a great guy, uh, a great pastor, loves the Lord. And so if you've not started that, don't worry. Just pick up week six. We start tomorrow. So grab one of these. And uh, if you need any more help, there's more information on the front of that. Well, I'm going to pray before we open up the scripture. We are continuing our series in the book of John. We're finishing chapter one. Can you believe it? It's a long road. Well, a month and a half we've been on chapter one. It's so much fun, isn't it? It's so much fun. Oh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be looking at what does it mean to be a disciple? How can we be a disciple? Father, oh, I just thank you so much for your love. I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for the energy and worship. I thank you that your name is glorified in this place. God, I pray that you will continue to be glorified as we open up your word, as we are impacted by the everlasting, living, breathing word of God. I pray, God, that right now you'll give us an anticipation and an expectation to hear from you and give me the capability to preach your truth. May I fall away and may you increase as I decrease. Holy Spirit, use my mouth and ignite our ears to hear what you have for us. May it not just be for education where we put it on a shelf and say, I learned something new today, but God, may it be for transformation. I pray that we will cling to the truth of the gospel, the truth of your word, and that we'll be impacted by it. In your name, amen. Amen. Many of you may or may not know my youngest son, Liam. If I had a guess, I would say everyone here knows him. He's just one of those kids. He goes around, he lets himself be known. Sadly, he is my mini-me. He just, that's him. That was me as a kid. If you saw me running around Mahaffey or anywhere as a kid, that, that's me. The epitome of Marv is Liam. Well, Liam has got it into his head recently, and maybe you've seen this on Facebook if you follow me on Facebook. He's got it into his head that he is a puppy, 
right? Liam believes that he is and can be a puppy, and his sister Amelia has capitalized on this by making him her puppy, all right? <laughs> right? So she can boss him around, and he just goes with it because he's a puppy. That's what they're supposed to do. Even yesterday at the Bible quizzing time, he was just trying to be on all fours, just walking around. And I'm like, dude, you, you've got to be a human right now. All right? And I have to tell him that as he's eating food, he, he'll take his bowl and he'll try to eat it at the table like a dog. And I have to say, Liam, let's be a human. But I want to be a dog. Right? And he just cries and it's, just, it's crazy. But it's in his head. He wants to be a puppy. He's clung to this for about a month now. And he realizes that in order for me to be a puppy, I have to live like a puppy. I have to act like a puppy. I have to talk like a puppy. I have to eat and drink like a puppy. Well, hopefully you in this room aren't trying to be a puppy, right? Hopefully we've gotten past that point in our lives. But I will say many of you who are believers probably want to be a disciple. You probably have a desire to say, God, I want to be a disciple. I want to follow. I want to go after you. What does that mean? How do we become disciples? Discipleship in our Western culture has just kind of become something that's not really talked about or discussed. We don't really learn how to disciple other people. We don't learn how to be discipled. And so we don't understand what does it mean to be a disciple as well. Well, I, with the theory of Liam needing to be a puppy, having to live like a puppy, to be a disciple, we must live like a disciple. To be a disciple, we must live like a disciple. We must walk like a disciple, eat like a disciple, talk like a disciple. You get where I'm going with this. And so we're going to open up the scriptures today and answer the question, is what are some of the key attributes of a disciple? How can we live like a disciple? What are those key attributes that we have? Because like I said, sadly in Western Christianity, for decades, people are simply satisfied with being Christian and not a disciple. They, they end their disciple time at the moment of conversion. I am a disciple. I have believed in Jesus. Now I'll go to church, I'll tithe, and, and that's all that there is. No, there is so much more to being a disciple. There's so much more to being a disciple. A disciple leaves everything. Everything. And so we're going to look at that story in this scripture. We're going to look at how, what are the key attributes of being a disciple? How do we become a disciple? Another thing that I've noticed too is that, that some in our culture have fallen prey to what I call emotional Christianity. And what I mean by that is that people, they, they only feel really good about their Christianity. It's always like, yeah, I love God and God loves me and that's all I need. Well, God does love us and God does restore us and God does cleanse us and God does passionately go after us. But there's also a responsibility that you and I have in our discipleship to grow and to go deeper with Jesus, to choose more of God. It's not just an emotional reality, it's a life living reality. And so that's where we're going to be in John. If you'd open up with me, John chapter 1 verses 43 through 51. And we'll answer the powerful question, what are some key attributes of a disciple? It'll be up on the screen, John 1, 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Beth Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. 
Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Wow, there is a lot of discipleship learning from these men and from the mouth of Jesus. Remember last week we talked about Peter and Andrew and, and we, we talked about their goal in life and John as well. John, the author of this, we talked about their life and wanting more of Jesus, going after him when he said, what are you seeking? And they said, we want to be with you. And now it's the next day. And as they've already been hanging out and they've been spending time with Jesus, Jesus goes around and finds a guy named Philip. And he says, follow me. And Philip then goes to his buddy Nathaniel, which in the other Gospels he's named Bartholomew. So if you're looking at the list of disciples and you don't see Nathaniel, it's because Bartholomew and Nathaniel are the same person. John just decided to call him Nathaniel because he had two names. All right? It's confusing, but that's how we figure it all out. But these guys, these two men, Philip and Nathaniel, teach us some really incredible things about discipleship. Now we see two more of them join the scene. And the first thing I think that we can see as an attribute of discipleship from the life of, of Philip is that a disciple has discernment to see chirotic moments. Now that's probably a very confusing statement and you're wondering what in the world does that even mean? Well, if you look at this passage really quickly, verse 43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Jesus purposefully went to Philip. Chirotic moments are those moments where God puts the times and the seasons together for our growth or for kingdom growth. Kairos is a Greek word for time, where you see chronos, where we use chronological order. Kairos is a word that says it's about God's timing. God puts it together. It's not bound by the ticking of a clock. It is when God wants it to happen, he moves in power, he moves into our lives, and he comes in and he says, will you see this chirotic moment? Will you recognize that I'm putting the seasons and the times together for your growth? Now, we can ignore those moments, and we can say, oh, that was just coincidence, something just kind of happened that was kind of cool. Or we can say, God is doing something, I need to pay attention, right? I need to pay attention. Here we see, in the life of Philip, he paid attention. That Greek word for decided doesn't just mean that Jesus was whimsical and was like, huh, what am I going to do today? Well, I might as well walk down this path and go over here, and whoa, there's a man named Philip, Hello. No, he decided. The Greek word was that he purposely did this. It was an act of purpose. It was an act of purpose. The Greek word is thalo, and that means purpose or want. You see, Jesus wanted to go see Philip. 
He knew in his mind where he was going. Now, Philip is in the same town as, as John and Andrew and Peter. And so they probably already knew Philip. There was a pretty small town, Bethsaida. So they probably grew up together as kids. And, and there's this camaraderie that they can now have immediately. Hey, you know, if you guys were ever, like, maybe you're from Homer City and you meet someone else from Homer City, you're like, hey, Homer City, let's talk about high school and all these different things. And you could put it all together. See, there's automatic camaraderie. So when Philip joins them, there's that sense of, wow, okay, he's part of us. But look at Philip's response before we even move into that. We look at Philip's response, and he followed Jesus. He didn't question. It just says he followed him. In verse 45, we see his response. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him. We've got him. I'm with them. These are my dudes now. We're going. Come on. Let's show you Jesus. Let me show you. We found the guy. It's him. And so he made sure to take advantage of that chirotic moment. He noticed that God was up to something, and he went after it. God is always moving. God is always having chirotic times in our lives. Are we looking for them? Because a disciple has discernment to see chirotic moments. We will know, as, as Jesus will say in John 15, that we know the voice of the Master. So when he calls, we will know it. Are we having those chirotic moments in our life? And if we're not, it's not because God's not putting the times and seasons together. It's because we're not noticing those times. And like I said, many times we might just chalk it up to coincidence. Oh, well, that was a coincidence that this and that happened. But I'm going to tell you something. And you're going to hear me say this all the time. And my college students at the church plant that we're at at the University of Pittsburgh would quote this to me all the time, and they would just roll their eyes because I said it so often. But here is truth. There are no coincidences with God. There are none. There are no coincidences. It wasn't like, again, where Jesus was just walking down the road and was like, huh, there's a guy, let me go talk to him. No, he knew what he was doing. He wanted to be with Philip. He wanted to have that conversation just like he wants you and me. Your salvation is not a coincidence. It's not an accident. It was God drawing you and you said yes to that chirotic moment. You said, yes, I believe that he is the king. I believe that he is my savior. If you are a Christian and you've had that moment, you said yes to a chirotic moment and it was not an accident. God was chasing after you. And you said yes. There are no coincidences with God. If there's something that happens in your life and it was really incredible, or maybe there was something that was painful in it, and you say, oh, it must have been just a coincidence that this happened. There are no coincidences with God. If you're hanging out and someone bumps into you that remembers you from high school, and you say, hey, what are you doing? And you start talking about your faith, that wasn't an accident. God set that time up for you to have a conversation with that person. God was moving. Are we going to see those chirotic moments? Philip saw it. He got up and he started following after Jesus. And he identified himself as a follower of Jesus. That was not an accident. The next thing that we can see is actually in the same passage. It's pretty incredible what's going on in this passage. The next thing as a key attribute of of being a disciple is that a disciple's identity is defined by Christ. A A disciple's identity is defined by Christ. The linguistic undertones in this passage are incredible. 
One of the things that we need to do as we go through the scriptures, and I want to I help you understand, is that when you open up the Bible, it's not just English words. There is Greek words behind it that give it a little bit more of an oomph. If they were to actually translate every Greek word with the, with the powerful definition of every Greek word, the, this would be 40 times bigger. The Bible. Because Greek words can mean something a little bit different than our English words. And some of them are so powerful and have like a sentence-long definition that we can only try and wrap it around our English mind with, or with one word. But this idea of, of the identity is incredible. Because when Jesus says, follow me, when he says that word, follow me. If you remember last week, we talked about the Greek word for follow me, which means to come behind. But here's something really cool. Jesus did a linguistic trick with this word. When he said follow me, it meant the come behind because it was the root word of the same come behind follow me, but it also means something a little bit different. The, the, uh, the way that the addition to this is that it also means an explicit marking of association. An explicit marking of, of association. So here's what I mean. He's coming behind Jesus. He says, come behind me, follow me, but also identify yourself as mine. So when he's saying follow me, it's not just like come behind me and, and you know, put your hands behind, but as we're moving, you say, this is the one I follow. He is my teacher. I am associated with him. This is so incredible. It is so great. This is the guy. Right, that's what that means, follow me. And we see that Philip does and he identifies it because he goes up to his buddy Nathaniel and he says, we found him. We together, there's only four of us. We found him. He is the one that identifies where we're going, what we're doing, you gotta come. You gotta come and see this guy because this is the guy. He's already saying yes to identifying himself with Jesus. Jesus should be our key, first and foremost, identifier of our lives. How often when people say, who are you? What's your identity? We say, oh, well, I'm a husband, or I'm a father, I'm Republican, I, I'm a military war guy, I, all these different things that you can label. But when it comes to the reality of who you are, your key identifier should be Christ. A disciple's identity is defined by Christ. Nothing else should be our identifier except him alone. That's what that means. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? When you dig into what the Bible is saying and you take apart some of the Greek words to understand the full impact of what Jesus is saying, that means a whole lot more than it looks like it does. Are we identifying ourselves as Christians, first and foremost? Are we making an explicit marking of association with him? What's really cool about this, too, is if you were to go later into the book of John, this is a key imperative for baptism. Identifying with Christ, following him, this Greek word of saying, this is who I am, this is my identity, this is what baptism is about. Because there's this public affirmation that I am associated with Jesus. I am going to get baptized because I am associated with him. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower. I'm coming behind him. That's what it's about. And then as a display, you get dipped under water, joining him in his death and rising again to life. If you've not been baptized, let me challenge you. Get baptized. We could do a baptism service next week. We just need a little bit of time for Jim to fill up the water. That's all. 
It might be cold if we do it on Saturday, but wear something warm. <laughs> so that's the great thing about keep preaching outside, though, is that a lot of times the guys would be preaching near bodies of water as they were Christians because they were just inspiring people, saying, this is what you need to do. This is who you need to follow. This is who you need to identify with. And they said, I'm a Christian. Put me in the water right now. Because they wanted to identify that way. So let me challenge you. This is an imperative part of discipleship. Baptism is key. It's not like you're not going to stop being a disciple if you don't get baptized. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is there's an obedience to step into the waters of baptism because it is an identifier. It is saying, I follow him. I am associated with that guy. Jesus is my king. I'm identified by him and nothing else. That's what baptism means. It's incredible. All right, I I just get too excited. Excuse me. Our first identifier should be Christ and nothing else. This one verse gives us another key attribute of being a disciple. If you look at verse 44, we can also see that a disciple purposefully draws people to Jesus. A disciple purposefully draws people to Jesus. Now, we've been talking about being a witness for about four weeks now. And, you know, I know sometimes when you walk through the Bible and you do the, the, the sermon the way, the way we're doing it, you break it down from segment of segment of the scriptures, a lot of times there's some repetitive stuff. And I always remember one of my mentors saying, if the Bible's repeating itself, you need to recognize that you need to recognize that thing. Because it's saying it again for a reason. It's, it's talking about being a witness again for a reason because now it's under the guise of following Jesus. It's not John the Baptist, some crazy guy who is eating honey and bugs with camel hair in the middle of the desert. He's saying, listen, a normal Joe, a disciple named Philip, that's the dude that you need to be like too because he purposely went and found his friend. Philip, it says this, excuse me, <coughs> verse 44, now Philip was from Bethsaida, in the city of Andrew and Peter, verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. One of the first things that Philip does after he identifies himself as a Christian, after he comes behind and follows Jesus, the very next sentence is, he went and found someone else. A disciple purposely draws people to Jesus. Now, when it says the word found, again, that's not just like he was just ho-humming along and walking by himself and saw, oh, Nathanael, I found you. Look, come with me. No, he actually is an action of purpose. He had Nathaniel in mind. The moment he came to Jesus, the moment he saw the powerful Messiah, the king, the person that he wanted to identify with, a light bulb went on in his mind. He said, I need to tell Nathaniel this. I need to talk to my buddy Nathaniel. Nathaniel needs to hear that we have found the guy. We have found the guy. One thing that we know about Nathaniel is that he knew his Bible. Nathaniel knew the Old Testament. This is why Philip immediately thought of Nathaniel, because Nathaniel has been looking for the Messiah. Why else would he go up to him and say, hey, that guy you've been looking for, we found him. <laughs> See, Nathaniel knew the Bible. He knew the scriptures. He knew the passages. And we also know this because of his smart aleck response when Philip says Jesus was from Nazareth. He's like, what good comes from Nazareth? I've read the whole Bible and nothing about Nazareth shows up. When we're talking about the Messiah, we see this, 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 not Nazareth. I think you're lying. It's, this can't be true. This is not the king that you're talking about. Dude, seriously. You're saying Moses and the prophets have talked about this guy? Not if he's from Nazareth. 
And then Philip says, why don't you come and see? Nathaniel knew the word of God. He knew what he was talking about. And that's why Philip went after him. Again, the word found is a purposeful act of looking for and going to a person. He knew why and who he was going to because he knew that Nathaniel was looking for the king. Philip was also able to explain through Moses and the prophets about Jesus. If you remember in the book of Luke at the end, Jesus does this with a couple of disciples as they're walking on the road after the resurrection. And he comes alongside these guys on the road to Emmaus. And it says that he began to explain who Jesus was from the beginning, from Moses, through the prophets to now. Philip does the same thing right here. He's like, we found him. The guy that, that was mentioned by Moses in Exodus 27, right there, in Numbers 13. You know, we found this guy. Well, what does that mean for you and for me as disciples? Well, I believe that a disciple knows and speaks God's word. A disciple knows and speaks God's word. When we are disciples, when we're coming alongside, when we're identifying ourselves as Christians, we're going to want to voraciously read every word that he said. When we're saying, I want to grow as a disciple, I want to continue walking with Jesus, and this isn't about a moralistic imperative. It's not saying that you need to do this for God to love you. What it's saying is when you're excited about someone, when you're pumped up about what you've been called to do, when you identify yourself with someone specific, you're going to want to know what they're about. It's like if you're a Steelers football fan. You want to know everything that happened in history. You want to know stats. You want to know who the quarterback is. And you want to know how good or how bad he is. And like the Patriots, you don't want to know anything about them because you know that the Steelers fans hate the Patriots. Amen. Amen. You see, but the point is that you want to know everything. You want to dig deeper. You want to understand a little bit more. And that's what happens when we say, I am going to be a disciple. I want to come alongside. I want to come behind. I want to identify with him. Man, we're going to be hungry. I know many times when we follow in our, our relationship with Jesus, we get kind of bland and stale and stagnant. Well, we're just being a converted Christian at that point. We're not walking as a disciple. If you want to be a disciple, you have to live like a disciple. And a disciple lives hungry for the word. Hungry for the word. And just like we said last week to pray for more of Jesus, if you find yourself, man, I'm really bored with the Bible, Pray, God, ignite my heart with a passion to understand the word because I want to know more. I want to understand more. I want to identify more. Pray that prayer. He loves those kinds of prayers. If you're like, Holy Spirit, let me love your word, he's not going to say no. He's going to say, I've been waiting for this. Yes, a disciple knows and speaks God's word. God's word grows and informs our witness. He was able to use his knowledge of the word to draw Nathaniel to Jesus. Another thing that we can see from this passage is that Christ honors honesty. Christ honors honesty. Listen, that smart aleck response that Nathaniel gave, that was pretty honest. He was being real. Philip is his friend, and he's like, Philip, I think you've hit your head. I don't think you understand what you think you understand. I don't think that means what you think that means. Princess Bride, anyone, right? 
And so there's this understanding of, listen, Philip, I, if I need to be the only honest person to you to let you know that you're wrong, I will. You're wrong. And Philip's like, you know what? You might think that. That's okay. I understand why. But just come and see. Just come and see. And when Nathaniel comes up to Jesus, Jesus says something pretty cool. It says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael's like, Who are you? And how do you know me? He was a little bit freaked out. But what Jesus was saying is he was honoring the honesty of Nathanael. Nathanael wasn't holding any punches. He wasn't faking it. He wasn't pretending like he didn't know what he was talking about. He didn't just walk around and, and be fake in, in, in his life. He was honest. He's like, Philip is an idiot, but I'm going to go because I'm going to show him how wrong he is because I'm right. And that's how he honestly felt. He felt that depth of reality for Jesus to be from Nazareth. How could that be? So he spoke it out. Listen, disciples, we need to be honest with God. We need to be honest with ourselves, and we need to be honest with one another. The church is a place that should be the safest place, to be honest. It should be the place where I can say, I'm really struggling, I need your prayers. I'm really having a hard time, will you pray with me? Man, you know what, God, I'm really upset right now because I blame you for this situation. If that's how you feel, say it. David did, the Psalms did, over and over and over again. He was honest to the point where you're like, stop whining. And then you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, I whine just like that. You see, we need to be honest. Disciples need to be honest because Christ honors honesty. We walk honest with the Lord. We can become a stronger, powerful disciple because we're not hiding anything in the dark. We're living in the light. 1 John 1 talks about being people who walk in the light. And it says, if we confess our sins to one another, then we'll be walking in the light. And all of the unrighteousness will be wiped away. We need to be confessing to one another. Too often we hide things for so long until they erupt into craziness. Until they end up ruining our lives because we haven't brought them to the light. A disciple is honored in their honesty by Christ. Let's be honest with one another. Let's be honest with Christ. In verse 47 we see Jesus honoring the honesty of Nathaniel. Jesus was not afraid of his doubts. God is not afraid of our doubts. If we're doubting, like Thomas, let's be honest about it. Let's give God an opportunity to dissuade our, our questions, to answer them in a way that says, you know, you don't need to doubt. But I know you do, so bring them to me. Be honest with me. Let's not fake and let's not be <coughs> pretend. Christ honors honesty. A commentator said, Philip does not debate the skeptic, but instead invites him to examine firsthand the veracity of his claim. Philip and his conversation with Nathaniel, we're shifting a little bit. Philip in his conversation with Nathaniel sees Nathaniel's honesty. Nathaniel's being kind of a punk about it. He's being a little bit of a smart aleck. And he had an opportunity to argue and debate with his friend. He had a chance to say, you know what? Nathaniel, you're being a big jerk. I think you're wrong. You have no idea what you're talking about. I just can't even deal with you right now. I see a lot of debates and angry frustration like that on Facebook and all that stuff. It just doesn't help. It doesn't do anything. Because the reality is, is that debate does not foster 
belief. Debate does not foster belief. Philip understood this. I know that was a huge shift from honesty to debate, but come with me, right? Because it's all part of the same, it's all part of the same story, the same package. That when he was talking about Jesus, when he was identifying with Jesus, when he was opening up the word and showing and displaying the reality of his knowledge of who Jesus was, and Nathaniel responded like, dude, you can't be right. He didn't say, you're wrong, I'm right. He said, you know what? Just come and see. I don't have to talk to you about it. I'll let Jesus show you himself. I'll bring you to Jesus. Jesus can convince you. Would you just come? Would you see? Would you engage with me? Philip understood that debate does not foster belief. Our friends, as we're being disciples and as we're growing in our faith, we need to have a knowledge of the word. We need to be ready with an answer to the questions that come. And people are going to try and pit us into a debate because they want to win. Or they want to, we want to win an argument. We might pit them into a debate. But let's just show them Jesus and have a conversation about who he is in our lives. There are going to be times where people are going to get up in arms and we're going to have to have answers. And we're going to have to be able to answer their questions even if they're obstinate. But we don't need to be obstinate back. We don't need to try and debate someone into believing like I said, if you look at Facebook and people's opinions, they put something and then there's people that comment and they're like, bleh, 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 bleh. I don't even know what they say. But there, there's just this uh, constant like, well, no, you're wrong. Let me tell you why you're wrong. And then the person who wrote the post is like, no, you're wrong. Let me tell you why. They're never going to believe that the other person's comments are convincing them to believe differently. We need to live a different gospel. We need to love a different gospel. We need to display a different gospel. And instead of trying to force people to believe in Jesus, we need to draw them to Jesus. You know what? I know that you have these doubts and these fears, but why don't you just come and see? Why don't you, why don't you engage with some of my believing friends? Why don't you come to church and see what it's like? It might not be what you thought it was like. Those are kinds of things that we need to be moving into because debate does not foster belief. Disciples display and draw people to Jesus instead of debating. Nathaniel goes with Philip to see the man that he was talking about, still full of skepticism, but going nonetheless. And when he meets Jesus, he learns a lesson about discipleship that he can teach us. And that's this. A disciple is fully known by God. A disciple is fully known by God. Nathaniel comes, he follows, he says, okay. He probably is rolling his eyes at his friend Philip. He's like, I'll go with you. This is going to be a giant waste of my time. But then as he's a far way off, Jesus sees him. And Jesus says, look, here's a real Israelite, someone who has no deceit at all. He's honest. <laughs> and Nathaniel's like, how do you know me? This is a little bit creepy, just letting you know. And then Jesus does something a little bit even creepier. He's like, well, you know when you were sitting under that fig tree and Philip came and got you while you were praying and probably reading through the Old Testament, looking for the Messiah, that was me, watching you, and then Philip came and he got you. Now, Philip didn't have a chance to come and say, Jesus, he was behind a fig tree. Talk to him about that. Pretend like you know him. They didn't even have that chance. He was far off. The reason why John says, as he was far off, is so that we, the people reading it, can understand that Philip didn't whisper in the ear of Jesus. He knew it. And it really creeped Nathaniel out. Because all of a sudden he's like, yep, you're the one. You're the king. 
You're the Messiah. You have to be. You have to be. I just, I, I know it because you knew I was under a fig tree. Who knows that kind of stuff? And he knew it and he bowed down. And he realized that he was the king. God fully knew him before he even came to see him with his eyes. Jesus knew him. Now, here's another cool thing about the book of John that you might not notice. John is always throwing in doctrinal things. Just drop it in there real quick. Drop. Here's a little bit of a doctrine. Here's a little bit of understanding. What John is telling his Jewish crowd that he was writing to and to you and to me is that Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was displaying his omniscience, which means all-knowing. There are three things that we attribute to God of omnipotence and omnipresence and omniscience. He knows everything. He could be anywhere and he's all-powerful. And here he gives a doctrinal belief that Jesus is showing, listen, I know everything. I know you. I know where you were. And so to the Jewish mind, as they're reading this, they're saying, wait, he's saying he's God. Again, for like the 20th time. Well, get used to it because he's going to say Jesus is God over and over and over again. That's why the title of the series is Seeing God in the Flesh. Because he says it constantly. And here we see this doctrinal belief that Jesus himself is God. And he knows his disciples. You and I also are fully known by God. That's a powerful truth. That God knows us inside and out. We have a relationship. We can have a relationship if we don't have one yet with a living, loving, real God, who knows us and wants to speak love and truth into our lives, who wants to come alongside and draw us into relationship for us to follow him, to identify with him. He knows us. And you know what? Here's the even scarier part. He knows us and he still loves us. Because if you're honest, you're like, wow, he knows everything? Yikes. He does. And he still chose to love you. He still chose to die on a cross for you. He still chose to die on a cross for me. A disciple is fully known by God. The next thing that we see is, is this reality that Nathaniel, he gets a little bit freaked out, but he says this, <coughs> excuse me, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. He's like, wow, you, you weren't hard to impress, Nathaniel. For all your disbelief, it was pretty easy to let you know that I'm the Messiah. He's like, but just wait, there's more. There's more. And so we can see that the supernatural shouts to the deity of Christ. Because he goes on to say, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's some supernatural work. Have you guys ever seen heaven open and descending and, and, and ascending? I haven't. But that's pretty supernatural. And he's saying, listen, if you believed with this small amount of stuff, just wait because the more stuff that's happening, the supernatural stuff, that's going to be even more like arrows pointing to me being the one. He's like, you were easy to please, but man, people are going to come to Jesus. They're going to come to know who I am because of the supernatural. They're going to see heaven open. And it's going to be incredible. This kind of echoes what Jesus said in the, <coughs> from the scroll of Isaiah in Luke 4, one of the main passages for our, our new vision and mission, 
where he opens up the scroll and says, basically supernatural things are going to happen. What, what Isaiah was talking about, the eyes opened, people restored, the broken healed, that's happening right now. It's going to happen. I am the culmination of all of that. And he kind of did a mic drop and walked away. The supernatural points to the deity of Christ. It shouts of it. Jesus moved in power as he lived on earth. The signs and wonders he performed served to prove his claim of being God. He was fully God and fully man. But God did incredible things while he was here. Incredible things, miraculous, wonderful things. And we'll know in the end of John and and Acts, he says that we will do even more than he did. And so you and I have a responsibility to live by the fruits of the Spirit. To look at the fruits of the Spirit and say, those are things that I am to be following by the power of the Holy Spirit, as well as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That we are to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that will draw people to Jesus. It should not draw people to man. It should not draw people to glorify a person or a place. It should go to glorify Jesus alone. That's why we have the Holy Spirit for the fruits of the Spirit. That's why we have the Holy Spirit for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's to point to Jesus. If you look at the great revival in England with Charles Finney and Jonathan Edwards, man, there was incredible, miraculous stuff happening by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what was the result? People coming to Christ. Thousands of people coming to Jesus Christ because the supernatural shouts of the deity of Christ, the supernatural points to who Jesus is. He promised there is more. A commentator said, Jesus did not display his supernatural knowledge or power to impress others, but rather to identify himself as the Messiah. Are we leaning into the Holy Spirit's power to give us the ability to walk the fruits of life out in our life, to live into the spiritual gifts that he's given to us? Because we have that as a promise. And it's not for us. It's to draw people to Jesus himself alone. A disciple leans into the power of the Holy Spirit for the fruits and the gifts of the Spirit. I know that's not a point. You could write that down. Finally, we look at this last key of a disciple. We can see that this passage shares with us that a disciple remains alert to the words and works of Christ. Jesus tells Nathanael, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see. You will see. What he's saying is pay attention. Pay attention. Because the disciple remains alert to the words and the works of of Jesus. Pay attention, Nathaniel, because if you thought that was pretty cool, just wait. Lots of more stuff is coming. Much, much more incredible things are going to happen in our lifetime. Keep your eyes open. My friends, as disciples, you and I should be alert to the words and the works of Jesus because he is still living, he is still breathing, he is still speaking. And we have access to relationship with him. Man, that's exciting stuff. Let's keep our ears and our hearts open to his words and his works. Let's not miss those chirotic moments when God is up to something. May we jump into them and say, God is on the move. This isn't a coincidence. This is Jesus. May we not miss those moments. To be a disciple, we have to live like a disciple. And Philip and Nathaniel give us excellent tools, excellent attributes of what a disciple looks like. Liam tries to be a puppy. 
Let's try and be disciples. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word that is living and breathing and active. God, you are so good. I pray that we will live as disciples, that we'll look at the examples of Peter, Andrew, John, Philip, and Nathaniel. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live like a disciple. Give us a passion for your word. Give us the ability to draw people to yourself and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen.